just wanted to share with you a little bit this morning. These past two days, Connie and I went to the women's conference down in Columbus. Um, and most of you know, <laughs> giving up two days in my life is like giving up a ton of time that I don't have. And I was extremely stressed out. I even went to the library and got a hot spot to take with me so I could work at night while everybody else was sleeping. God had a different plan. Don't you love when he has a different plan? So I was stressed beyond belief because Friday night we got into our room and we were put into a room with a room full of other women that we had no idea who they were. And Connie and I were just like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. But God stretches us. Aren't you glad? Um, anyway, so we're sitting there Friday night and I'm trying, I've got my papers in front of me. I've got my laptop. I'm trying to work while everybody's visiting. And God had a different plan, and he introduced us to a new, it's a, a woman in our room that is from India, and she had a brain aneurysm, and God brought her back to life. And she shared her testimony, and it was just so fresh, breath, breath of fresh air. Because you always hear of God moves and God does things, but sometimes we get so complacent in our lives that we don't see the miracles. And it was so awesome to sit and hear about her testimony and just to listen. And I, I kept feeling God tell me, put your schoolwork away. And you guys got to know, I got a huge project due today. <laughs> and I've got a concert to go to tonight. I'm here at church. And I'm like, God, I can't. And he said, put it away. And as we go through, she's sharing her testimony, and she talks about how she, her and her husband hadn't been home in India for 13 years. Her parents have never met her, their, her nine-year-old daughter. They went back after she recovered from her aneurysm. And long story short, but God used her testimony to bring her family to Christ. Amen. A Hindu family coming to Christ. She's reaching Indians in her area of Ohio, bringing them into the church, finding ways um, to witness to them. And she goes to India to visit with her family and they get stuck there for 14 months. They can't come back because their visas and just traveling and all that good stuff. And she's like, why are you doing this, God? Because he had a plan, he had a plan. God has plans, but if we're not actively worshiping and working and giving him our tithe of our time, he can't do those plans. We have to be open to those plans. We have to allow him in, and we have to be actively searching for him and working with him. I read in my scriptures this morning, it said, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So if you have Christ living in your body today, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have the energy. Even if you go to bed at 2.30 this morning, you have the energy to worship God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead You can do all things if you have that spirit living in you, right? So praise and worship is not a time of observing. I don't want to see you sitting and just folding your arms. It's not a time of observing. 
The walls of Jericho did not fall because the Jewish people were sitting there watching God do it. Did they? What were they doing? They were marching the walls. And then they yelled out at the end, and God tore down walls. If you've got walls in your life today, get up. Worship. Yell out his name. Scream for him. Because guess what? He's a God of miracles. I want us to join in this morning. I don't want us to be spectators. I want us to join in in what God is doing. We need to let our tithe, not just of our money, but of our time. And time is precious in my life. I don't know about you guys, but time is precious. And if we're not tithing our time to God, how can we expect him to do stuff through us? If you're tired this morning, know that that spirit that raised Christ from the dead can raise you. There's no excuses. Here today in our church, we are waiting patiently for you to allow him to enter in. Will you stand with me today, church? Will you join me in prayer and in worship to see what God can do in and through you and in our church? Our first song today that Courtney and the team are going to sing, these are the lyrics, and I want you to listen to them. If we're going to stand, we're going to stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we're going to walk as lions. Lions aren't little pretty kitty cats, right? Today is ours. It's always been. Before we face the fight, we know who's going to win. Praise God. We live by faith and not by sight. We don't want safe and quiet. I don't want a quiet church today. I'm, I'm full of energy, and you guys got to come up here and get up with me. We don't want to run and hide. This is not an intermission. It's our time. Not going to miss it. We've already, he, you've already called us fearless and unafraid. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you move in our church today in a new way, a fresh way that we've, we can't explain it but say, yes, that was God. God, we want that spirit that raised you from the dead and brought you back to life. We want that in us. God, help us to tithe our time and our energy to you, God. Not just our finances, but of ourselves. God, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. God, I pray that you be with Pastor this morning and help him to have the words that need to just pierce our hearts. God, help us to put on the suit of armor and to walk like giants through our week. God, fill us with your spirit this morning. Fill the worship team with your presence. Help them to feel the energy that they need to lead us into your triumph. God, we thank you for all you do and all you will do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you could open them to the book of Psalms. And I'm going to be there uh, just a moment. And I'm going to be jumping around a little bit of other scripture. Uh, we're continuing on in our series entitled, Who is God? And this is such an important uh, foundational series to our faith. You know, if I were to ask you... Um, 
questions about God, you guys might give me different answers. You might say, yes, there is one true God. We all believe that. And we echo Deuteronomy 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 4, that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. This is uh, what the Jewish people call the Shema. It is their, their main verse that they they uh, that all throughout um, Jewish history they have claimed to. This has been their mantra. This has been on their billboards. The hero Israel, the Lord your God is one because they lived in a very paganistic society where all the other countries around them believed in multiple gods. I think we could probably say that the same thing is true today, that we live in a world where there's tons of little gods, little g, um, and that needs to be our mantra as well. And so we believe there's one God, but... Also, we also believe that there is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so, so we're like, okay, well, there is one God, but there are three persons of the Godhead. And then if I were to ask you to explain that, then we would twiddle our thumbs and say, well, it's difficult to explain. That is one of those mysteries that, that maybe once we get to heaven, maybe we'll have a little bit more information. However... I am under the impression that we will spend an eternity of heaven and our relationship with him will just keep growing and growing and growing and we will never fully understand the fullness of who God is because he is that so much more different than anything you and I could ever comprehend or imagine. God is bigger than all of that. And so, so, um, so we're diving into this concept and the Bible gives us no, uh, no case, it doesn't build a uh, uh, it doesn't build a an argument for the existence of God it doesn't tell us where God came from it just it just assumes from the very beginning that God always was in fact if you were to open up to Genesis 1 1 it tells us in the beginning God and so right from Genesis 1 1 we have this revelation that before infinite time and before intimate um, infinite space, God was already there. He is eternal. And so that is the first and biggest revelation that scripture reveals to us is that God is, is unlike anything you and I could ever know and ever comprehend. He is bigger than that. There is no one and nothing like our God. Amen? He has no equal. He has no rival. He has nothing that we can compare him to he stands alone as God and so in this series we've been diving into some of those qualities that are unique to God and so last week we looked at God's omniscience or his all-knowing we know that God is omnipresent or all-present and we know that he is um, uh, omnipotent he is all-powerful uh, Tony Evans, he comments about these three attributes of God, how they work in tandem. He says, God knows what needs to be done. That is omniscience. He has the power to do it. That's his omnipotence. And he always knows where it needs to be done. That is his omnipresence. And so we understand that these three qualities work together to make up God. Uh, and so last week we started by looking at God's omniscience. And we understood that uh, in the life of Hagar, a slave, Egyptian slave of Abraham and Sarai, and she was 
hurt and she was confused and she was running away from everything that she knowed and uh, and she didn't have any resources and she didn't know where she was running and anytime you're just running away from life with no resources and no destination you are in desperate you are in a desperate situation and she doesn't understand that God is even out there until she has an encounter um, with God and she says finally I see the God who sees me. And, and, and God met her in that place. And so today I want to tag on to this other aspect of God, and that is his omnipresence. God is omnipresent. You know, we generally accept this fact about God's omnipresence and if I were to take a straw poll of us and say, how many of you believe that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere, most of us would probably say yes. Uh, I think our church would probably get an A. Surely nine out of ten of us would say that. Um, but we rarely stop to think about the ramifications of that. We say God is everywhere, but what does that mean and how does that relate? Is God everywhere and, and if he's everywhere, how close to us? And how you and I view the proximity of God to us is everything. Okay? I don't want to get too deep, but uh, today, if you will just turn your head and look over your shoulder, I have placed a sheet on the back wall back there. It's on the back door, and it says God. Okay, easy. Um, so, so, and I did that as an illustration. Okay, we all saw it. It says God. But some of us might feel like God's omnipresence, his presence in our life, we might feel the proximity to us is far away. Yes, we say, you know what? I believe that God is omnipresent. I believe that he's here. But I also believe that God is far away from me. And so, so uh, what that, I guess what I'm trying to say is, when we have this view that God is far away from us, you and I are left to struggle in our own power, in our own strength. We have, we have this problem where we view God as being too far. This is, a, this is a what de, how deists would view God. A deist would say, you know what, there is a God, he is all present, he is everywhere however god is far away from us our our proximity to him is is a distance and 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 they would view like god would wind he would create the universe and wind it up like a clock and then set it up on his mantle and then step away and the universe that you and i now belong to and live in and, and you know move and breathe is just a mechanical organism that god created and, we, and, and the deists would say, you know what? The, the universe, it circulates and it moves in a pattern. It moves according to the laws of, of what God created. And they would say, you know what? God doesn't interact with his people. Now, obviously, you guys can see the flaw in that. You guys can see the big flaw. So, so when you and I view God's presence as being too far from us, we make this mistake of thinking that God doesn't interact with us. All right, now I'm going to take a short walk back there and I'm going to grab my sign because I want to make this point. But if you and I were to um, have a, a reverse 
I'm sorry, let me grab this. If you and I were to have a reverse problem with God, and maybe you and I don't see God um, far away, but we see God as being close, maybe too close. And some people do. Some people would say God was not far away, but now God is close. And, and I have this tape here, so, so some people might tape it to their forehead. Right? Nobody take a picture for social media. I cannot see you, Jane. Phone goes down. I should have put eye holes in this thing. Right? Now I don't trust you guys. But some people might take God and they might move God this close to where now everything that we see is through this lens of God. And, 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 uh, and some people might say, well, the tree is God, that the tree that I'm touching, and the grass is God, and the air that I'm breathing is God, and everything is God. And there are people that have this viewpoint. We call that pantheism. That's kind of a, uh, a, an Eastern type of religious thing. But um, they have this extreme viewpoint of God where God is not far off. God is like right here and he, he's in everything and, and so much that, um, that I'm, I'm God. They would say everything is God. And so today when we look at God's omnipresence, you and I understand God is everywhere. But proximity is everything. Where is God in relation to us? Is God far away? Is he far away in the universe? Or is God right here? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What is, oh, I thought it was going to spell dog. That would be inversed. I don't have time. So today I want to take us um, through some scripture that allows us to understand this omnipresence of God. And David wrote this in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. David says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in shale, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and you, and I'm sorry, your right hand will lay hold of me. And so just a first glance of this verse, David is pondering this question. You know, where can I go from God's spirit? Where can I go from his presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. Now, now uh, logically, that is upward. If I go upward, you are there. But also, David says, if I, uh, if I, Make my bed in shale, which is the ground. It's underneath us. Um, it's a word for hell. Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, now that's a reference to the east, because the dawn, um, uh, the sun comes up in the east. If I, if I take my wings there, if I look to my right, or I look to the east, you are there. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, um, the sea was to the west of the holy city, Jerusalem. So saying, if I look to the right or I look to the left, you are there. So if I'm going up or down or left or right, it doesn't matter, God, your presence is there. It's always around me. And so today we're going to look at four concepts that reveal God's omnipresence. 
four concepts that reveal God's omnipresence that lets us know that God is closer than we think he is. And the first concept that I want to touch on today is that God is not limited by time or space. It's not limited by time or space. If we were to keep on reading in Psalm 139, verse 11 says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night all around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, and the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so here David is taking it one step further, and he's not just giving directions about where he can run from God's presence. He's fathoming and he's saying, okay, well maybe if God is light, maybe I can run to the darkness, and then that would be a place where God's presence wouldn't be. And then, of course, he reasons, no, even if God were to go there, it wouldn't be like that. That God would illuminate that. His presence would be there. And so what David is, is kind of saying here is that God works outside of the laws of the universe. He works outside of how you and I think. And as David's contemplating this idea of where is God, where can I run to, he comes to this conclusion that I can't go anywhere and I can't run anywhere and I can't be anywhere where God's presence isn't already. This gives us the idea that God is not limited by time and space. Right? So what does that mean to us? It means that God cannot be contained in a building. I like to think that God's presence dwells here, and it does. I felt God in this place. And I know that it's a biblical concept that God's presence dwells in certain places. Because we know this from the Old Testament. Where did God's presence dwell? In a box that they built, God's instructions, that they weren't allowed to touch. They could only carry it by poles because God's presence would kill them. We call this box the Ark of the Covenant. And that, was, that contained God's presence. And then they moved that box into the temple when the temple was finally built. And they moved it into the Holy of Holies. And that was the place where God's presence was. And so I know sometimes uh, as humans you and I get into this trap of thinking that God's presence dwells within the confines of a structure or a building. But, um, but that Old Testament was really just a foreshadowing of this concept that God's presence is, is available to mankind. And we know that everything changed when Jesus came. Because now God, who was um, you know, a spirit out there in the universe whom we could not see, was now in the flesh. And God came and he dwelt among us. And we know at his crucifixion that the, uh, the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. That was the place where God's presence was. And now that signifies that his presence is now everywhere. Acts 7.48, Stephen is giving this uh, account to the Sanhedrin. And he's preaching to them. And he says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. And then he quotes Isaiah 61, uh, verse 1. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? God is bigger than that. God, um, I love it when people come to our church and they say, you know, I just feel something different here. There's, there's this presence that's here. I feel this spirit that's here. And they don't know how to describe it, but I, I do. 
I know what it is. The secret sauce isn't Pastor Ken. And it's not that we have great worship or great people, which we have all of those things. The secret sauce is we have God's presence in our place. And so I love that. I love that this is a house where God's presence dwells, but it's not limited to just here. God's presence is beyond this place. Not only is his presence not limited to a building, but it's not limited to a nation. You know, God's presence was always thought to be associated with Israel. And it still is. I do not want to ever go against Israel. I don't care where I line up politically, but never ever will I ever go against Israel. I will always line up. You know why? Because I read my Bible. Right? It's easy to see what happens to those who line up with Israel and those who don't line up with Israel. So I'm a little bit, you know, I, I, mean, I don't want to say I'm selfish, but I'm like, this is just where my mindset is. I'm just always there. I'm always, always on the side of Israel. Um, but also, you and I, not only in today's world, think that God is with Israel, we think that America has grafted this new favor of God and the new presence of God, and America is the land of God, and so... We feel the same way about America as maybe the Old Testament felt about Israel. We say America is the place where God's presence dwells. And we feel like that's ingrained in our DNA. Now, I know some of you are, it's changing a little bit. But our forefathers who came over as pilgrims came to this country because they were escaping religious persecution in Europe. They wanted a place where they could worship freely. And so they brought this idea with it to this country. And no one on earth can argue the success that America has had. Um, maybe we, we may be the greatest nation ever in history. I, I don't know. I wasn't around with Rome. But certainly our dominance globally is, that, is more powerful than Rome ever was. Or before Rome, the, the Persian Empire or the Syrians or any of that. You cannot argue that God has not blessed America. But God's presence is not limited to Israel or America. God is doing fabulous things all over this world. And his presence is going out all over. And it will overtake the entire world until one day in Revelation we get to that point where God looks out over all of creation, all peoples of everywhere, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It's just inevitable that God's presence is all over. It's not contained um, in, in buildings and it's not contained um, within imaginary lines on maps that you and I draw. His presence is everywhere. That also means he's not limited by time or space. In the early days of space travel, one Russian cosmonaut, he went up into space orbiting Earth. And upon his return to Earth, he said that while he was up there, he looked out of his space capsule and he could not see God anywhere. And so he concluded that God did not exist. Up to which Dr. W.A. Criswell, First Baptist Church of Dallas, he replied, well, let him take off his spacesuit for just one second and he will meet God quick enough. 
right? Which is true. Uh, despite how you and I view God, it doesn't change his omnipresence. He's always around us. If you remember last week, um, Hagar running from God, when she started out, I'm not sure she believed that there was a God. Remember, she was Egyptian. She was from a pagan land. However, God met her right where she was at. And she had that revelation. Okay, I now see the one who sees me. And so there's this revelation that God was all around me even before I even knew God was watching. So we understand God is not limited by how you and I feel about him. This idea that God is not limited by time or space also means that he's with us wherever we go. He's with us in our ups and he's with us in our downs. He's with us in the hardest times of our lives, in our pain, in our sorrow, in our struggle, in our grief, in our bitterness. When the whole world's turned against us and we feel like we don't have a friend. When we're battling an illness that we just can't, um, that we cannot beat and it's taking its toll on our life. When our families are a wreck or displaced or moved. When those things that are most important to us um, have all fallen away and our life seems like it's falling apart. God's presence has never for once left us. Which means that you and I can depend on God at all times. We can rely on him and we can be assured of him. Second concept I want to focus on today is that God is always present everywhere. Always present. Well, I thought that's what we're talking about. Uh, it is. Let me say this. God is fully present. Fully present everywhere. Young boy and his mother were having a serious discussion uh, one day after lunch. And the young boy, he was very inquisitive. He asked his mom, uh, where is God? Right? That's a normal question as moms and dads we get. And she replied, uh, where, where is God? Where is God? Well, God is in heaven. Is that his home? Well, yes, that is his home. God lives in heaven. Okay, that's easy enough for parents. Well, what about Jesus? Where does Jesus live? The mom replied, well, that's easy. Jesus lives in your heart. Right? Okay, so we got those concepts. God lives in heaven. Jesus lives in your heart. She's like, well, isn't God and Jesus the same person? His mom thought for a while. Yes, son, it's very, very difficult to explain that. And after a brief pause, he says, well, where does the Holy Spirit live? And she said, son, it's time for a nap. <laughs> right? It's very difficult to explain that. How is God present but in these different places and in these different functions? And some people think that God is, his presence is spread out like a thin layer of peanut butter on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And, and it's just like God just spreads out just a little bit of who he is out and in, in over everything. But I want you to know God does not work like that. You know, God is fully present I know it's hard because you and I, sometimes we can be present, but not fully present. Some of us might be present here today in church, but your mind is thinking about how the Browns are going to run the ball today without Nick Chubb, right? And if you're not a football fan, maybe you're thinking, I could care less about football, but man, what am I going to eat? I am hungry right now in this moment. 
right? See, we could be here, but not here at the same time. But that is not true of God. God is fully present. God can be fully present in Chicago and fully, um, you know, fully present in Calcutta at the same time. His fullness is always there. And so we understand um, these concepts, but we don't totally understand how they come. It's mystical how God is fully there. Jeremiah the prophet, 23, 23 says this. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? And the answer to all of those is yes. God is fully present everywhere. And that leads me to a third concept. And it's hard for us sometimes because... God's presence sometimes seems elusive to us. It seems elusive to us. Up until this sermon, if I were to ask you about God's omnipresence, be honest, how many of you would say, yes, I believe God is all present everywhere? Right? Okay, I think that's most of us. And the people that didn't raise their hand, they'd never raise their hand for nothing. So, so I'm just counting that as a yes. Okay, I'm counting that as a yes. But I think up until this point, you and I could all agree on that. Our minds know that. Our minds know that God is everywhere. However, sometimes you and I don't feel that. And we don't feel that way because we don't see that. And when you and I do not see God in a situation and we do not feel God in a situation, then you and I, our faith is hindered. And life becomes more difficult. That's someone that's been there. It's true. Sometimes we look at life situations and we say, God, where are you in the midst of this mess? I don't see you and I don't feel you. My brain tells me, yes, you're there, you're present, but I don't see that and I don't feel that. Let me tell you and reassure you that God is there whether our sight or not. Let me tell you a story this morning about two men. Uh, one man's name was Stanford and the other man's name was Art. Those are their real names. Stanford and Art. And I, I, I'm glad we don't have any Stanfords or Arts here today. Right? Those are their real names. And these two uh, met... Uh, in New York, they met at Columbia University, and they were roommates there, and they quickly became friends. And not just friends, but the best of friends. And everything they did was, was built their friendship. And they were close. They were closer than uh, friends. They were almost like brothers. And so this relationship just blossomed. It built and built the best of friends. They did everything together. Uh, and one day, Stanford was at a baseball game watching baseball when tragedy struck. And as he's watching baseball, he began to lose sight in one of his eyes, or, or maybe in both eyes. But the game became blurry. 
And so he went to uh, the doctors and they diagnosed him as uh, conjunctivitis, which is pink eye. And they said, you know, just take some medicine and uh, this will quickly pass. You'll be back to normal. And so that's what he did. Only the ailment did not leave. Um, after a little while, he found himself completely blind because he did not have pink eye or conjunctivitis. What he had was glaucoma, which meant that his optic nerve was no longer functional. And you can imagine the impact that this would have on anyone's life, but especially a young man in the prime at Columbia University. And so his demeanor changed, and his outlook on life changed, and he become more and more depressed, and finally reaching to this place where he said, I cannot do school anymore. I cannot go to school. I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to go home and so he packed his bags and he left and he went home and his friend Art sympathizing with his friend Stanford in his situation chose to leave school too only he did not leave school permanently he left for the weekend and he found out where Stanford's house was and he went to his house and he tracked them down and he made this promise to him. And he said, if you come back to school, I will be with you wherever you need to go. I will be your shadow. When you get up in the morning, I will help you get dressed. And I will walk you to your classes. And I will show you where to sit. And I will pick you up from your classes and get you to the next place. And we will do this together. And so he coaxed his friend Stanford back to school. And so the two of them, from there, began a life of, independency on one another and every morning they went through the same routines day after day they got dressed they went to classes they did their homework together and and they were getting through school until one day art began to think that graduation was soon approaching them and there was going to be a day where that they were going to have to separate and go their own ways and so art said you know what stanford Let's go on one, one last grand adventure. And they agreed. And so they set out and they went to Grand Central Station. And at Grand Central Station, it was the hustling and bustling. And they were all excited to board a train. But before they did, Art realized that he had a project that he had forgot to turn in. And so he told Stanford, he said, I'm sorry, I hate to do this to you. I hate to leave you in this moment, but I need to go back and I need to turn in this project. And so Stanford would go on to write later in his life that what would happen next would be the worst experience of his entire life. Even though he's in the middle of New York City, in the middle of Grand Central Station, in the middle of hustling and bustling of all these people, he would describe the loneliness that he felt in that moment. The utter helplessness that here he was not knowing where to go or what to do or how to navigate without his friend Art by his side. And so the next few hours became grueling for him. However, he did manage to make it back to his college dorm. And as he's climbing the steps and walking down the hall and he's opening the door to his college dorm room, his friend Art puts his arm around him and said, hey, I wanted to let you know that this was all a ruse 
that I never had an assignment to turn in, but I've been following you the entire time to make sure that you were safe and to make sure that you were okay. And he says, I want to welcome you to a newfound independence and reliance and strength that you now have in your life. God's presence works the same way. Even when we don't feel him, we know, even when we don't feel him and we don't see him, he's still there guiding and protecting us. Now, that's not the end of the story because Art would <coughs> laughingly call this blindness and this obstacle and this adversity that they experienced together, he would call that darkness. And he lightly made uh, jokes about darkness and he would say, good morning darkness and how are you doing today darkness? And it became this mantra of how to face adversity in your life. Well, he met a, another man named uh, Paul and Paul and Art got together and they put that, that idea to music um, and it became the basis for the famous lyric, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, which Simon and Garfunkel recorded in 1964, which became an instant hint, and many of you still know it today. True story. But God is like that in our lives. He's always with us wherever we go. And if God is with us wherever we go, I want you to know that that means a fourth concept, that God promises to draw near to those who draw near to him. God is always near his people. It just takes us reaching out. It just takes us uh, moving to God and seeking him and drawing close to him for God to reveal himself. Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. This is a verse that you and I cling to. We pray this, we hold on to this concept that God never leaves us, he never forsakes us. He's always with us all the time. It's a reminder of his omnipresence in our lives. It's powerful because this echoes um, a prayer and a charge that, that Moses gave the Israelites in Deuteronomy 31, 6 and and Moses is realizing he's at the end of his long life and he's realizing that he's going to die. And he reminds the people, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus echoes this saying. Jesus knew he was going to leave this earth. Matthew 28, 20. He knows his, his time for his physical body to ascend up into heaven is, is near. And so Jesus promises this, Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm, I'm with you. God is with us in good times, but God is especially with us in bad times. Psalm 34, 18 tells us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so whether you are going through good times or you're going through bad times, God's presence has never strayed from us, not for one moment. And when you can't see God and you can't feel God and you feel discouraged about his presence, it only takes us reaching out and drawing close unto God 
James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is a promise from God. And I'm going to ask the worship team to join me today because I want to bring this down for, uh, for a close today. Because I want you to know that we have a, a God who is unlike anything that you and I could ever possibly know. That God is omniscient. We looked at that last week, that he knows all things. But we also know today that he is omnipresent. That God is everywhere, all at the same time. And God is not limited by time, and he's not limited by space. And the restraints that you and I seem to put on God, God does not hold that to himself. And so God says, when you limit me to a place, or you limit to a building, or you limit me to a formula, God says, I am beyond that, and I am bigger than that. And I know sometimes you and I, we can't feel God in a situation, and we can't, we can't see God in a situation, and it becomes frustrating, and it becomes discouraging, because we're wondering, where is he? What is his plan? God, I don't see you in this place. We understand, and we rely back on scripture that tells us God doesn't leave us, he doesn't forsake us, he's always around us, he is close to those that are downtrodden and brokenhearted. And so maybe you're here today, and maybe you are going through something like that. Maybe you are going through a moment in your life when you don't see God and you don't feel God. I want you to know it's okay. I've been there. I've been in that struggle. I've been in that valley where we know it. We know the scripture. I know that God is omnipresent. I know that God is working all things together for the good, but I don't see it and I don't feel it and it's frustrating to me because I'm in a fog. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're like that. Maybe you're walking through this ongoing health issue that, that's just draining you. And, and you ask yourself and you question, you say, God, I don't know. I don't see you. Maybe it's a family thing. You're saying, God, I, I just don't know. I don't have the answers in and of myself. Maybe it's a work situation. And you're saying, God, I know you're doing something. I just have no idea what it is because I can't see it. I can't feel it. If you feel like that today, and that's you today, I want you to know that you're not alone. You are not alone. In 2 Kings, there's a story and Israel is surrounded by its enemies. And, and at this point, Israel is vastly outnumbered. And the enemies are, are lined up all around. And, and Elisha is there. And Elisha is the man of God. And they, they bring him along so that they can hear from God and, and know what to do and how to act. And, and Elisha's servant is distressed. And he's looking out and he's seeing the, the situation, seeing all the armies lined up on the hillside. And he's saying, Elisha, what are we going to do? Because, because we're, we're overpowered. We're outmanned here. Surely we're going to die in this place. And Elisha looks at his servant. And in 2 Kings 6, 16, he says, Don't worry, fear not. Those that are with us are more than those who are with the, them. Well, that's great for the man of God to say, but I don't see that. What do you mean? Uh, Elisha, I'm doing a head count. What do you mean? There are more with us than them. I just did a census. No, that's not true. I'm, I'm looking at things in the natural. 
But then Elijah prays and he prays to God and he says, open the eyes of my servant. And in verse 17, the servant looked up and he saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire and they were all around Elisha. And they found out that in the natural, we don't see God, we don't feel God, but in the supernatural, angels' armies surrounded them. They were never alone from the beginning. God had them encompassed and surrounded and circled. And the same is true for you and me. All Elijah prayed was for their eyes to be open to God's presence. Today, would you stand with me to your feet? And I want to spend a moment, a quick moment, and worship unto the Lord. But if you're here today, and you're in this place, and you're going through that, would you pray that prayer? Would you pray that prayer that just simply says, God, open my eyes to see your presence. Open my eyes to see you working. Open my eyes to see you moving. Would you pray that way today as we worship the Lord?
Lord, help us to know today that not for a moment, not for a single moment, not even for a fraction of a moment, have we ever been forsaken. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that when life blinds us, to your presence. We can't see you because the size of our obstacle, the size of our frustration, the size of our hurt, the size of our anger. Lord, when those things blind us from you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Show yourself. Help us to know, God, that you are right there with us in close proximity to us. God, my heart goes out to the one struggling today. God, reveal yourself and make yourself known. Lord, what we've done here in this place, Lord, we've purposely drawn near to you. We've purposely drawn near. And so, God, now I stand on your promise that you will draw near to us. God, let us feel the comfort of your embrace today. Lord, I pray these things and cement them with a let it be done. A giant amen. 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 God bless you today. Um, the altars are always open if you want to stay and pray. Um, but you guys can consider yourselves dismissed. Uh, remember the Walk for Life. If you're interested, there's information back there. But uh, go in God's grace today. Um, if you're part of the worship team or staff, I think we just have a short little meeting up here. But go in God's grace. I have tasted all that this world has to offer. Satisfied.